Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.48 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the eighth day of 2024. That's right, January 8th. 2024. This is episode 837 of Bitcoin, and uh, this is going to be a rough show. It's it's going to be rough for me because I have not done a show in like, you know, since what? December the 20th? December 19th? Something like that. I don't know, man, but I'll tell you one thing. It's uh, It always takes me a little while to get back into cadence, uh, to be able to read things correctly. Uh, so if you do me a favor... Give me a little break. I'll I I will appreciate that immensely. Now, before we begin anything, I want to say I hope that everybody had a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful New Year. As usual, I'm not going to be doing a 2023 recap. Everybody else does that. You've you've got more recaps on podcasts than you can possibly imagine. You probably can't scrape through them all. So I figure the last thing that you need is the first show of the new year for the Bitcoin and podcast to be yet another recap. So that is why I don't really ever engage in that kind of thing. And if that's what you were expecting, my apologies, but that's not what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing today's news. All right. That's, that's what I want to do. <clears throat> but, um, I had a real I had a really good Christmas. I did not think that I was going to have as good of a Christmas as I did because I'm not we did not get to go to the house in uh Colorado and that always is, is has been that's been like a thing for like the last 11 years straight. And this is the first time in 11 years that I haven't spent Christmas in Southwest Colorado and I got to tell you man, I kind of thought that that was really going to put a damper on things, but it didn't. It still ended up being a really good Christmas. And again, I hope you and yours all had a wonderful time and are starting to kick ass in 2024. Let's see what's going on. Now, I have been kind of fascinated with a particular store up here in the Inland Northwest. Now, I have not gone into this store, and it is a brick-and-mortar store that sells plants. It's a plant store. If you want to go buy a potted plant or a house plant or something like that, this is the store that you go to. They also, you know, I'm sure that they also sell candles and small gifts and stuff like that. And normally, normally I stay away from places like places like this. I really do. But this one, I'm just going to go ahead and open up the New Year's <laughs> uh, Circle P pleb store with Ferns Plant Store. Fern. Fern. It's Fern Plant Store. And it is in the Pacific, or actually it's in the Inland Northwest. And what does that mean? The Pacific Northwest technically is everything west of the Cascade Mountains. And including the Cascade Mountains, which are beautiful, by the way. But everything east of that, it's not really looking like the Pacific Northwest. In fact, the center of Washington state looks kind of like, looks a lot like West Texas. It's, it's kind of amazing. It's like, wow, it's like I never left. In either event, the further east you go, you get into what's called the Inland Northwest. And this store is in Coeur d'Alene. They also have one in Spokane, and they have one in uh where well we'll get to it here in a second I'll I'll tell you all about it here in a second because not only are they going to be in the Circle P and they don't know they're in the Circle P and if you don't know what the Circle P is it's my way of advertising for plebs that just don't have the money to get their goods and services 
out to the people's ears because nobody has any money. Why? Well, we all know why. We're all here for Bitcoin and we we don't have to rehash how the bankers stole our money. But nonetheless, the effect is the same. Nobody's got any money to do any advertising with if you're a pleb. All right. So this is my this is sort of my community service for the Bitcoin community and the pleb community to put out goods and services that I think are worth your time to listen to. And if you want to plant and you live in the inland Northwest, then go over to Fern Plant Shop. Actually, that's not plant store. Fern Plant Shop and go buy some plants. And we'll get it like, I'm actually going to extend this Circle P out into the first story because the first story is about Noster, but I'm going to use Fern Plant Shop as the example of what, what, Something that should have been plainly evident to me for as long as that I've been using Noster, but isn't or wasn't until last night. So what am I talking about? Let me read you the note that I put up on Noster sometime yesterday. And it goes like this. When you generate an NSEC NPUB key pair, and set up your profile on a single Nostra client, you immediately have a profile on every single Nostra client. All of them. At once. For instance, Fern probably has never gone over to Flare.pub to set up their account there. And I've got account in quotations. They may not even know what Flare is. But it doesn't really matter, does it? It's already set up and waiting for them to discover their own account for their video needs. It's shake and bake all the way around. And still, people are bitching about how Nostra sucks, has no utility, or no one cares. Well, I double-dog dare you to find anything like this in the world. I triple-dog dare you. Now, let's... I'm going to kind of parse through this, this note a little bit. What am I talking about if you didn't really get a hold of that. Well, the whole reason that that note came up, the whole reason I even wrote that thing was because I was kind of, you know, back looking at I was looking at somebody else's note that had themselves discovered fern plant shops because they're on Noster. Yes, this plant shop and I don't know who the people are. I've never met them. I don't know I I don't know anything about them, right? Other than their pictures, which I'll get to here in a second. But somehow they're on Noster. They've got three brick and mortar stores and they're on Noster. Someone over at Fern is a Nostrich. And they've got their NSEC and NPUB key and they're getting to be a little bit more active on Noster. But one of the things that I saw and I saw this actually like when I first discovered Fern, I, I discovered that they had a Slidester. What's that? Well, it's sort of like a Noster based Instagram. You put up pictures and you can reply to people's pictures and you can put text along with your pictures. And it's a very nice layout. It's very slick. Slidester, by the way, Slidester, if they if just will, I'll give you the, the URL, full URL here in a second. But I, I, it, even then, I didn't recognize what I was looking at. I just figured, and I figured because there's so many pictures of the inside of their plant shop on Slidester that they clearly are interacting with Slidester. So I just kind of put it in the back of my mind that someone at Fern is an ostrich. Okay, well, that, that's all well and good. But then somehow, and I don't know how, I ended up, and I, how the hell did I do that? I can't remember how I got there, but I ended up over on Flair's um, or Fern's Flair.pub account. And it was all set up. It was all set up. And for the guys over here in, uh, in the live chat, I'm going to put up their, uh, <clears throat> their page, Fern Plant Shop, uh, that's over on Nostra. I'm using the primal client to look at this right now. 
But these guys have been, you know, fairly active. You know, they got some great pictures of their plant shop up. But somehow or another, I ended up over on, let me make sure where where we're at here. Um, Oh, I ended up over on flare.pub and lo and behold, it, they had their uh, um, banner was up for uh, for fa- uh, fern plant shop. They had their um, their uh, avatar was up. Their I mean all their information was up. No videos though, not not a single video. And then I started realizing what I was looking at when they built their profile, where on whatever client they built their profile on. It was set up on every single client, every single client. I started going to a couple of other, you know, like started searching around and realizing that they have, you know, their stuff set up on things that they've never interacted with. And it was, and, and Fern confirmed it for me that, uh, it through Noster that they didn't even know what flair was, but look, but they were excited because they've got videos. Their shit's already set up on flair. Now, I might be beat. You might think, well, you're beating a dead horse, Dave. Okay, so let's juxtapose this with the world that we're coming from. All right, the the world of general social media that is completely centralized. Not only is it centralized, it's all siloed. What does that mean? Well, it means what goes on on Instagram doesn't go on on YouTube. What goes on on YouTube doesn't go on on Twitter, right? So think, think of it this way. Let's say we lived in fantasy world where all the people that ran Twitter and all that kind of crap, that they were all good Joes and they really cared about our ability to socially interact with one another and basically get out of our way. Yeah, like I said, it's a fantasy. It ain't ever going to happen. But let's just for, the, for a moment, for a moment, let's say that that's the world that we lived in right now. Okay, I go over to Twitter, never going to call it X. I go over to Twitter and I build my profile. I, I, I give him my phone. I give him my firstborn child. I give him my address. I give him a credit card number, what, whatever else that they want, because that's the world that they really live in. But the fantasy part is once I do all that, that all that information is instantaneously propagated to Instagram to Facebook, to YouTube. See what I'm getting at? Have you ever seen anything like that actually happen in centralized, siloed social media? No, you haven't. And it ain't ever going to happen. You're never going to see that happen, except on Noster. Where these, the I don't, I was, I'm going to say women because the per, pretty much the only people I see in Fern's pictures are a bunch of women. I'm going to say that they're the owners and that the owners, when, he, when she or they, she went over to whatever client they were using on Noster and discovered it and set up all their stuff, they instantly set up their accounts across the field and they didn't even know it. Half of these clients are waiting for them to do whatever it is that client specializes in as far as Noster kinds, the kinds of notes, like there's a kind one that you just type out text and that's what everybody usually uses. But there's all manner of different kinds of notes that you can actually throw out there. And each one of these clients are pretty much specialized in focusing on certain subsets of these kinds of notes. Flare.pub is one of them. Now that Fern knows about Flare.pub and they log in with their, with their, with their keys, they're ready to go. And I mean, again, I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but nobody has this. This doesn't exist in the world except for Noster. And what kind of utility would you be able to get out of the fact that all your crap is already set up on 85 different platforms and all you have to do is discover the platform, throw your insect up there, 
please use something like get Albi as an extension. Don't ever put your insect directly into one of these clients. We'll get to that later <clears throat> as to why. <clears throat> but you see what I'm saying? You, and you just say, oh, look, there's a new Nostra client. And you just log in with your own insect and you're already set up. You're ready to go. It's it's pulled your banner down. It's pulled your, your AV down. It's pulled your bio information down. It's kind of frightening that I didn't realize this because what attracted me to Noster in the first damn place had nothing to do with that. It did have everything to do with the fact that I would go to different clients and I would see my entire history. And if one client decided to delete my ass because I said something that the owners or whatever didn't like, well, didn't really matter, did it? Because I could just go to another client. But I completely missed the bigger picture there. And that's what I'm trying to do is give you the bigger picture here. The utility that Nostra represents to a simple person is almost priceless. Because once you set up on one, you're set up on the whole system. And I don't think we should take that lightly. In fact, I think that that is the, like the, 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 it's a one-two punch, right? The first punch is the fact that if a client decides to block my IP address, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have all my information on the 84 other clients that I can go to. So that, that's one punch. The second punch is what we were just talking about. The utility of having all of your crap set up all at once, just waiting for you to discover it and dig into the utility that that particular client provides you. Nobody else does that. And yet there are still people that laugh at Noster. You're laughing at your own doom. That's the last I'm going to say about that. Um, let's see, what do I got here? Oh, um, well, I, I'll, I'll continue for just a sec. <clears throat> Like I went over, like as far, as far as Fern Plant Shop goes, I went over to where where Oster W H E R O S T R dot social, and it's a map. And I plugged in Fern Plant Shops in pubs, and all of their stuff is here. It's it's all here. In fact, they have uh, it's let's see, Fern Plant Shop. Um, Inland Northwest's finest plant shops, one's in Spokane, Washington, one's at Liberty Lake, Washington, and one's over in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is very, very close to Spokane. Um, and they're magically backed by Bitcoin and they have their pictures up. They have their feet up on, on where Oster, I guarantee you Fern plant shop has no idea what where Oster is. And then there's, then there is, oh man, I didn't get the slidester up. Oh, well. We don't need to, we don't, at this point, I am beating a dead horse. Now, what was I saying about the fact that you don't want to put your insect into any client at all? You want some kind of key management system, whether it's an extension or insect bunker or something like that to do it for you. Me personally, I use the Albi extension in my Brave browser. I've never had a problem with it. Comes with a wallet, does all kinds of other stuff, does key management for Noster. I love it. It's makes everything easy, right? But the reason I'm bringing this up is because of the Coracle version 0.4.0 private groups. Coracle.social is yet another Noster client, right? So, <clears throat> and that is actually done by my good friend, Hoddlebod, who is in the region. He's in, he's in my region. I can go, I can actually go and drive a few minutes away and go get a beer with Hoddlebot. I've done it twice. Great guy. And his, he, his project is Coracle.social. Now he just introduced private groups. Let me read you the no bullshit Bitcoin, uh, <clears throat> no BS Bitcoin.com, uh, small blurb about Coracle private groups. Coracle is a web client for the Nostra protocol focused on pushing the boundaries of what's unique about Nostra, including relay selection 
and management, web of trust-based moderation, and content recommendations and privacy protection. Now, in the new Coracle release 0.4.0, and this is a big one, Coracle now has private groups. This means you can now send almost any Nostra event over an encrypted channel to the rest of the group's members. This is substantially different from group chats in that it uses rotating shared keys to provide weak forward secrecy, better scaling, and dynamic member access. A ton of work went into this release, many months of iterating on groups, as well as several new and refined features. You'll also notice that Coracle has a new look. I've started work on a new design created by uh, at D-T-O-N-O-N. D-T-O-N-O-N. So what's new? Well, there's NIP44 encryption support, NIP24 chat support, NIP72 community support, NIP87 closed community support, NIP51 calendar event supports, which are cool, NIP99 classified support, and there's all kinds of other stuff. And I won't, I won't just read the whole list because it's just too much because I want to get into the private group aspect of Coracle. It does not work the way we think it works. Not yet. Not yet anyway. Okay. There's some, there's some nuance here that's going around and this is where it comes into this insect and providing your insect directly to a website. For right now, and I'm sure that this is going to change because of the language that Hoddlebot has been communicating to me with about this particular issue, he, this will change. But right now, the only way to properly activate your private group in coracle.social and have it work the way you think it's going to work, where nobody else can see the notes that you wrote except the members of that group, is if you provide your insect directly to coracle.social and even Hoddlebod is telling people, don't do that. Don't do that. This is a work in progress. We got to give Hoddlebod some time. But Hoddlebod says basically the following. So there's some confusion about Coracle's private group stuff, which boils down to it seeming like they don't work or exist. What's actually going on is that they rely on NIP44 support, which is only available right now if you log in using your insect directly, which no one does and no one should do. Coracle also supports public groups, NIP72 communities, so if you're logged in with your insect, that's all you have right now. My top priority is to get NIP44 support merged into Albi and NOS2X, at which point things will start to make more sense. And of course, I'll be constantly tweaking the UX and making it less disorienting. Sorry to none you business, that's me, and everyone else who tried the feature to surprising results. And what is he talking about with surprising results? I get into, my, I get into the group section of coracle.social a couple of days ago. I start the Bitcoin and uh, podcast private group. And then I say, okay, test. And I put out a test note. And everybody could see it. Why? Because I was not logged in to coracle.social directly with my insect, which you should not do. Wait. If we can't be patient in this space, then we're going to have a bad day. We need to have some serious patience, right? Private groups works but only if you provide your insect directly and all of us are telling you to not do that. So that's like showing a candy bar to a kid and saying, see this, this is a great candy bar. You see that I have it in my hand. You, you know, it's great. You know, you want it, but you can't have it just yet. Because if you do, you risk compromising your private key in Noster and you don't want to do that. And it's not because Hoddlebod's a bad person. He's not. He's actually one of the finest individuals that I've met. It's that the web is generally compromised. There's all kinds of key trackers. There's all kinds of shit. There's web, There's screen scrapers. There's packet sniffers. There's all kinds of garbage. So please, please, please give Hoddlebod some time on these private groups. I'm sure that they will be flying here sooner rather than later. All right. What else we got? 
Um, oh, developers don't work for you. This is one from Shinobi. I'm sure this is going to be a hoot. <clears throat> Shinobi has a tendency to get really animated about things, which I think is good in this space. I, I think we should uh, allow ourselves to be frothy, animated, elevated, as well as excited about what we're talking about. But this one's out of Bitcoin Magazine. This is going to be the first direct read for 2024. Again, I implore you, give me a break. It's been a while since I've done this. I have a feeling that I'm going to be writing a lot on this topic in general for the foreseeable future. But the philosophical and existential crisis currently confronting the Bitcoin space over what constitutes spam is starting to have massive second-order effects and consequences in all of the different Bitcoin communities. I want to specifically focus on the reaction to this debate spilling over into what charitably can be construed as debating with core developers, but in reality, in most cases, has taken the form of what can only be called harassment. This can be a very nuanced and subtle aspect of how Bitcoin works, as the relationship between customers, in quotations, that actually utilize Bitcoin and the developers that work to maintain, improve, and optimize the protocol and tools built on top of it, it is not a clear-cut category separation. Many people who use Bitcoin are developers, and many developers are users of Bitcoin. There is no hard line distinguishing between the two, and someone who is one or the other can, over time, become both. In the same regard, people who fall into both categories could cease to do so and simply become solely a developer or solely a user. This is the first thing to understand. The line between users and developers is totally arbitrary, with constant overlap and the potential for that overlap to grow and shrink at any time. That said, what about the users who are not developers? What is their relationship with the people actually writing and maintaining the software. There's no real black and white clear answer. But I can tell you what the relationship is not. It is not an employer-employee relationship. Developers do not work for us, full stop. They are not our employees. We do not pay their bills. We do not fund their work. They do not have any contractual or legal obligations to us whatsoever. We are not product managers. We do not provide them with a project roadmap and dictate what pieces they work on, how they work on them, in what order, or what those pieces should even be or how they should function. Disabuse yourself of any notion that this ecosystem functions in any way remotely like that. It does not. Developers freely choose to contribute their time to an open source protocol completely on their own terms. They decide how much time to spend, what to spend it on, and the way they actually implement what they choose to work on. Full stop. They have complete and unfettered autonomy in every way regarding how they interact with Bitcoin as a project. Now, turn that around to look at users. Users of Bitcoin are under no obligation whatsoever to adopt a change or tool that developers produce. Nothing is forcing users to change the software they run or adopt a new tool developers build on top of Bitcoin. Having a Netflix subscription does not obligate you to watch a single piece of content they produce. It does not obligate you to consume any specific volume of content. You can watch as much or as little as you choose. You can even cancel your subscription if you want. Netflix has literally no control over how you interact with it whatsoever except purely through the power of voluntary persuasion. And this is how Bitcoin works. Harassing developers on GitHub will not change that. It will not magically turn your relationship with developers into an employee-employer relationship. Not only will crying on GitHub accomplish nothing whatsoever to create or bring about the power dynamic that many Bitcoiners seem to want to bring into existence, but it accomplishes nothing productive whatsoever. I say that as someone who has personally debated numerous issues with developers over the years, asserted numerous times that developers are incorrect about some issue or plan of action they think is the most appropriate one to take. GitHub is not the place for arguing what the existential purpose or reason for Bitcoin existing is. 
It's a place for narrow concept and implementation debate and criticism for the express purpose of improving whatever technical proposal is being made. Whether that leads to a proposal being incorporated into Bitcoin or rejected from Bitcoin should be entirely up to the outcome of purely rational and logical discussion. Even in the case where you do have a truly rational argument or piece of input, are you going to actually stick around and contribute or participate in the development process consistently? Or are you just essentially doing a drive-by review or input on a specific issue to bike shed it? Yes? Then, even with a rational argument in hand, GitHub is not the appropriate place for those discussions. We have Twitter. We have Reddit. We have spaces. We have numerous other places to debate and work towards consensus on things without actively interjecting nonsense and philosophical debates about semantics into the development process. And I reiterate that I am a person who has spent a massive amount of time in this space making arguments about why a specific direction of development is or is not a good idea, bolstering those arguments with actual reasoning and logical rationale. I probably never will in any meaningfully meaningful and consistent way contribute to the development of Bitcoin. So I do not attempt to inject my arguments, opinions, and ideas directly into that development process itself. I make those arguments to the wider community or when making them to developers in other forms or mediums besides GitHub or platforms whose specific purpose and function is for developers to coordinate the development process. If my arguments actually hold merit, they will convince users. They will convince developers out of ban from places like GitHub. Eventually, an argument with merit will grow and create consensus around it to the point that it presents a meaningful public signal that developers can choose, if they want, to incorporate into their own reasoning around Bitcoin and what they choose to spend their time and efforts doing to improve it. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether you look at these issues and this dynamic from the lens of developers or the lens of users. You have no power or influence whatsoever except the power of persuasion. If developers produce something that the overwhelmingly majority of users do not want or find no value in, they can simply ignore it. If developers find an overwhelming majority of users demanding something that is completely irrational in terms of incentive alignment, engineering realities, or anything of that nature, they can simply ignore them. Bitcoin is a self-regulating system. Bad tools produced by developers will not be adopted. Users demanding incoherent or damaging things cannot make developers build that for them. But they can step up and build it themselves if they really want that thing. No one works for anyone else here in this dynamic. It is a completely voluntary process regulated by market forces. So, either step up and actually try to be persuasive, do it yourself, or cry harder. You are not going to succeed in trying to force anyone to do something they don't want to do. You can find the fork button in the top right corner here. And he's talking about the fork button in the top right corner of GitHub, which anybody is able to do. And many people have done it. One of the most notable was Roger Ver and the forking of Bitcoin into BCH. He did it. And then his best friend that became his worst enemy was CSW. Right. Charles Wright. It's not Charles Wright. Craig, that's it. It's that idiot Craig. Yeah, he forked BCH by using the fork button in the top right corner. And I kind of think what Shinobi is getting at is, because I I don't follow the GitHub. I I, I mean, I follow it, but I don't actually, I don't really engage with it because I kind of agree with Shinobi. It's not, I'm not a developer. Why am I going to have a discussion with somebody on GitHub about how Bitcoin works? That's not, that's not the genre I'm in. I'm in a macro genre, not a micro genre. I, I'm not a developer. I talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, right? But I think what he's getting at is I get the feeling that there's a bunch of people on GitHub telling developers that they've got to do something about ordinals. I'm sure that there's much more going on there that have nothing to do with ordinals, but the vehement distaste, dislike, and general hatred 
of these stupid idiotic things that are inscriptions and ordinals, I'm getting the feeling that a whole bunch of people are going over to GitHub to try to get the ear of developers directly. You're not doing anybody any good, including yourself and certainly not Bitcoin. From that standpoint, I definitely agree with Shinobi. Do I like ordinals and inscriptions? If you've listened to this show before at all, no, I don't. I think they're harebrained. I think they're going to get a lot of people into trouble. I really do. And I think a lot of people are going to lose a shit ton of money. And while they're screwing their own lives up, they're not making fee pressure any better for me who doesn't engage with that bullshit. So now I'm affected by this idiocy. And yet I 100% agree with Shinobi. If you've got a beef with one of the Bitcoin developers because they're not doing something that you want them to do, tough. Go talk to them about it on Twitter. Leave GitHub alone. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities looking at energy tumbling. It's tumbling pretty bad today too. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is down just over four full points, down to seventy dollars and sixty-five cents a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down three and a half points to seventy-five ninety-eight. Natural gas is doing its thing. It's actually up almost two points, and gasoline is down three point six seven to two dollars and two cents a gallon. Again, good luck finding that at the pump. Gold is down. Three quarters of a point. Silver is down scant. Platinum is down one and a half. Copper is up a third. Palladium is down three and a third. Ag. What's going on with ag? Well, <clears throat> it looks like it's pretty mixed today. Biggest winner is sugar, 3.13% to the upside. Biggest loser is wheat, 3.17 to the downside. Live cattle is down a third. Lean hogs are up 0.82% and feeder cattle are up a third. The Dow is up a quarter. The S&P is up almost a full point. The NASDAQ is up 1.74%. And the S&P mini is up almost a full percent. Bonds are mostly in the red, except for the one, two, and three-month bonds that have actually gained in yields. But for the first time in a long time, the 10-year bond is below a 4% yield. It is yielding 3.995%. The 20-year is 4.31%, and the 30-year is yielding 4.16%. The dollar index is falling. It's down. God, have mercy, man. Hold on for a second. Yeah, it's at 102.27. That's the ICE US dollar index, in case you are tracking that. Bitcoin's prices, jeez, holy shit. Um, We've got a big green candle, $46,655.24. Average transaction value is 0.57 BTC. Median transaction value is $98. Block times are very high, 11 minutes and 48 seconds. 0.85 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 103.7 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 14% drop in hash rate, we are at 420 exahashes per second. Doge, your shitcoin indicator, is at 8.1 United States pennies. Bitcoin has achieved a market cap today of $917.9 billion. Oh, good Lord. That is 6.75% of gold's entire market cap. You can now purchase 23.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,592,918 even, and 5,000 BTC are in the Lightning Network valued at $233.8 million, 14,653 nodes, 59,939 channels that we know about and 77.7% of all of that is being run over Tor. Now, mempool.space, we're looking at high priority fees of 157 Satoshis per V-byte, low priorities going for 115, and there are 283,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting in mempools across the nation to clear. Hold on for a second. Let me get you a number of blocks. Dude, good Lord. 550 blocks waiting to clear. Holy smokes. 
mempool.space mining is showing 467 exahashes per second. To split the difference, we'll say 445 exahashes per second. All right, boostograms from the last show, episode 836 of Bitcoin and entitled Federal Whale. Jen in Indy with 5,000 sat says boost. Dick Toshi with Road Duck says Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks for all you do to spread the word of Bitcoin. Thank you. Dubrovko 1410 says Ledger makes me want to pull my fucking hair out. Also, systemic jujitsu use the government against the government. Uh, he says Warren in parentheses, and I guess he's talking to about Elizabeth Warren. God's debt 1370. I'm digging the transcripts. Uh, God's death. Tell me what transcript service you're using. Are you using fountain or something else? Let me know. O2ZX with 500 says, thanks for the news. If you keep going with more shows, I'll keep going with advent boosts, double or nothing. You may be wanting some downtime to appreciate touching some grass or something. If no more show until the end of the year, Merry Christmas and fuck that angry old lady. I'm pretty sure he's talking about Warren too. Mo <clears throat> Menorid. 500. Merry Christmas, y'all, and thank you, sir, for your continued hard work. No, thank you. God's Death with 370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. BitGus with 200 says, I'm in the middle of transitioning to my cold card because of the shit going on with Ledger. But how can I be sure that CoinKite won't be compromised or any cold storage wallet for that matter? Thanks. BitGus, there is no guarantees in life. But one of the things that I've noticed about, about Novak or NVK is he's paranoid about security. I've been following that guy for years. He's never been any less paranoid about security. He's always as paranoid about security as he can get. But what's the rule? You don't trust, you verify. You can verify the cold cards code. It's on GitHub. And everybody is still bitching about Novak being some kind of master evil mind. And I just don't get it. But I'm not going to engage with that argument. I find cold card a heavy duty workhorse for me when it comes to my cold storage. I love it. I recommend it. I don't think people should be bitching as much as they are because somebody says, look, I've open sourced my shit. You can read the code, but if you hork it, I'm going to make you pay for it. It's sort of like a hybrid commercial versus MIT license. You can see the code. It exists. It's open source. You can compile it yourself. But if you put it into a product and sell it, he's going to come after you. I mean, I, 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 st I know a lot of people here hate intellectual property, but people got to feed themselves. I don't, I, I don't get it. Pies with 100 sats says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. A mysterious 1.2 million dollar Bitcoin transfer made to Satoshi Nakamoto's Genesis wallet. All right. This isn't exactly groundbreaking news, right? I mean, or I mean, it's groundbreaking in a way, but it doesn't really affect anything. But if you hadn't heard about this, it is interesting. So as a, I don't know, sort of a human relations piece, let's do this one from blockanomy.com. And it's written by Oliver Dale, by the way. Uh, Let's see here. Yep. On January the 5th, an anonymous Bitcoin user transferred 26.9 Bitcoin, which was worth $1.2 million at the time to the Genesis wallet owned by Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. This unusual transaction has sparked intense speculation in the crypto community about its purpose and origins. The funds seem to have originated from cryptocurrency exchange Binance and were routed through a complex series of transactions across 12 wallets before finally landing in Satoshi's wallet. This circuitous path makes it difficult to definitively trace the source. 
The Genesis wallet was created alongside the Bitcoin network itself and contains the mining reward from the first ever Bitcoin block. After Satoshi Nakamoto disappeared in 2010, it lay untouched, containing 50 BTC from that initial mining activity until Nakamoto's birthday in 2023, when gifts from Bitcoin users increased its balance to 72 BTC. The new deposit takes its holdings to almost 100 BTC worth approximately $4.3 million. While a sizable amount, it pales in comparison to the 1.1 million BTC under Nakamoto's control across many early Bitcoin wallets. Of course, the question on everyone's mind is why anyone would deposit such a large sum into an inactive wallet likely lost to its creator forever. The most likely explanation falls into a few categories. Nakamoto is moving their own funds, either re-entering the scene or just consolidating holdings. Two, the funds are burnt to show credibility or seriousness of some undisclosed scheme. The deposit forms part of a pump and dump maneuver to spur short-term Bitcoin price rises is number three. And number four, the money represents illegally obtained funds that the sender wished to discard. While the lack of information makes it essentially impossible to know the real purpose behind the transaction, it has certainly reopened speculation about Satoshi Nakamoto's identity and control over the Bitcoin ecosystem. It seems the crypto community will be puzzling over this latest twist in the mysterious Satoshi saga for some time to come. The transaction also comes on the heels of positive news for Bitcoin's price recovery with the long-awaited approval of Bitcoin ETFs expected to bring new investments into the space. Blah, blah, blah. Don't care about the ETFs. What I do care about is why on earth would you send 26.9 perfectly spendable Bitcoin into a wallet you have no control over. Now, I'm not going to actually speculate about whether or not Satoshi Nakamoto is alive, but there was a question that I had asked and I should have already known the answer to, but I got confirmation about the disposition of these coins now that they lay in the wallet of Satoshi, the Genesis block wallet, whatever. They are in fact spendable. The original 50 BTC that were mined in the very first block, known as the Genesis block, are they themselves unspendable? That particular UTXO of the 50 Bitcoin that was deposited into the wallet on successful completion of the Genesis block are unspendable. My question was this. If it's the case that somebody took 26.9 Bitcoin and sent it to that wallet address, the same wallet that contains those 50 Bitcoin, are those coins now physically unable to be spent in any capacity whatsoever because the first 50 coins are unspendable? And that is not the case. It, the answer to that question is a resounding no. Why? Because that wallet like all Bitcoin wallets, hold more than one UTXO. It's only the UTXO of the 50 Bitcoin that represents the 50 Bitcoin mined in the Genesis block that are in fact unspendable. But the wallet is a wallet is a wallet. If somebody has the private keys to that wallet and are still alive or still active or whatever and decides that they want to spend the Bitcoin out of that wallet, they can spend all of the Bitcoin out of that wallet except the UTXO containing the 50 Bitcoin that were mined in the Genesis block. I, If anybody else had the question about whether or not this was a de facto burn address, the answer is no, it's not. However, if you don't hold the private keys to this wallet, then it is effectively a burn address for you, but it's not permanent for those Bitcoin. It's not an actual burn address. So just let's just keep that in mind. But I, I really did. I thought that that was really interesting. And now the conjecture is why? Is there, is, is there anybody in the chat uh, over on zap.stream that can tell me why they think somebody would take what? 
was it 1.4 million? Is that what it was? $1.2 million and just for them burn it. Cause let's, let's conjecture that, that Satoshi's gone, that there's that those coins at 1.1 million, including whatever is in this wallet are never going to be spent. Why? Why would you do that? I mean, if you're running from the law and you need to get rid of those Bitcoin and you're doing this as an emergency, like, see, I don't have them. They, if, if the authorities know that you sent them, like somehow or another, they, if you do this, then you're pretty much, in my opinion, you'd be scared that your private keys were compromised by authorities that either are going to throw you in jail or do something even more heinous with your ass. Right. Because it's like, I don't think that this person would have been scared about getting their Bitcoin stolen because their private keys were compromised because it would have just been stolen. This was a deliberate attempt to burn these coins if it is by a person that has no control of that wallet address. Why? Because even if you were said, okay, well, look, see, I don't have the Bitcoin. See, there's the transaction. It's now in Satoshi's wallet and you can't get me. No, they if they can prove that you had the keys, if they can prove that you sent that particular transaction, I don't think it's really going to matter whether or not those coins are recoverable. Was it somebody who was in trouble with, I don't know, something else. And so like a government agency or some other entity that was something like a government was going to take those coins and this was just a spite burn just to say, hey, you know, you, I'm just not going to give them to you. I'd rather burn them. So I'm just going to throw them over here in Satoshi's wallet address. Uh, Kid Warp says, forcing CSW to admit he's either the man or not. It was his current law bill. <laughs> Who knows, man? CSW can go, yeah, he'd fall off a cliff for all I care. But, I mean, like I said, I I just don't think Satoshi's around. Could be wrong. Doesn't really matter. But this is interesting. Because it, it, if Satoshi is around and this is consolidation, then it's, comp- I don't care. It's boring. But if it's some cat that has no control of the wallet and they just decide to send 26.9 Bitcoin to a place that they'll never be able to get it back from, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Just saying. Okay, I guess we should talk about it. The spot Bitcoin ETF. Yes, I know. Savannah Fortis, Cointelegraph.com. Spot Bitcoin ETF. Fee war begins. Issuers amend S1 filings with lower sponsor fees. The fee wars. We're getting into them. Let's see what we got here. The anticipation for the decision from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission on spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds continues as multiple applicants filed their final S1 form amendments on January the 8th. That would be today. Valkyrie was the first company to file the final S1 amendment, followed by Wisdom Tree, BlackRock, Vanek, Invesco, and Galaxy Grayscale and ARK Invest in 21 shares. Among the amendments, many of the applicants have also included lower fees, raising the bar of competitiveness between the various ETF offerings. The lowest sponsor fee for the currently filed ETFs is from Bitwise, with no fee for the first six months and the first $1 billion in assets, followed by a 0.24% fee. This is followed by ARK Invest in 21 shares, also listing no fee for the first six months or until $1 billion in assets, after which they will enforce a fee of a quarter of a percent. Bloomberg Market an analyst Eric Balchunas called the drop in ARK in 21 shares fees from 0.80% to 0.25% breathtaking. Balchunas said the fee wars are intense, but that's another level. <laughs> Van Eck listed a 0.25% free uh, fee. Franklin, a 0.29% fee. And Fidelity, a 0.39% fee. Global asset manager BlackRock set its fee for the iShares ETF at 0.2% for the first 12 months 
or until the first $5 billion, and then is going to hike it up to 0.3% as the ongoing fee. On the higher end of the fees, we got Wisdom Tree coming in at 0.5%. Invesco or Galaxy Invesco offered the first six months with no fee, followed by a 0.59% fee. Valkyrie has a 0.8% fee, and Hashdex has a sponsor fee of 0.9%. Grayscale dropped its fee from 2% to its newly listed fee of 1.5%, which currently comes in as the most expensive of the pack. Research and market analyst James Seifert posted on Twitter to be mindful that these are not finalized and said he wouldn't be surprised by even more fee drops. Amid all the revisions to spot Bitcoin ETFs, Balchuna said it would be interesting to see if this influences cryptocurrency exchanges to respond with their own fee cuts, quote, before it's too late. Balchunas also posted a reminder that the temporary fee waivers historically haven't moved the needle very much and that advisors tend to focus on the regular fees because they are long-term investors. However, he did say it could possibly matter in this case given that the ETFs all do the same thing. As the final amendments come in, the next stage in the decision-making process is anticipated to be a vote by SEC commissioners. Markets have been forecasting the debut of the ETF on or around January the 11th. Okay, so the fee wars have begun, yet we don't have a product. Let that sink in. They're already, already battling each other about fees. You know, and as much as I, I really I don't know. The ETF is a it's it's a slippery bear because half of everybody wants the ETF because they know what it does to the price. The other the other half just either either doesn't care or thinks it's going to be bad for Bitcoin. And I honestly don't know where to stand on this. I really don't. Would I like a higher price in Bitcoin? Of course, I want more purchasing power with my Bitcoin. I'm not a fucking moron, but. If we get an ETF, and it kind of looks like we're going to get an ETF, if not a whole bunch of them, what does that do to the price long term? Sure, maybe in the in the run up, like it was, people are like you know aping into the ETF, even though you should buy just just general Bitcoin and hold it yourself. The sure, I mean, the price will go up, but so did gold, and then it seemed like gold just basically got capped, and. And a lot of people think that that's because of a gold, the gold ETF. That sure, there was a huge rise, but that it put a compression on the top end of where gold could actually go because now you've got all these derivative products against gold ETFs and futures and all the rest of the, the garbage gambling casino that we call Wall Street works in tandem to be able to suppress prices. And I think that that's a real possibility here. I really do. As for it being bad for Bitcoin, I honestly think that's the only thing that it could really do is suppress top end price as, as an ETF as being the only bad thing that could actually happen. The, the best thing in the world that could happen, considering that it looks very much likely that we're going to get a whole bunch of ETFs is that the price is unfettered and just continues to rise until the point that all the Bitcoiners that actually have real change for the way the future of humanity looks is able to realize either fully or take the first step on the path to realizing those dreams. And I don't know which way it's going to go. I just don't. I know that we are living in a world of pure evil. And it sucks, it sucks, it sucks. The the armies of darkness are pretty much packed and stacked and they don't like us. And we don't like them either. But, the, I, you know, I got to say, there's. it looks to me like there's a lot more of them than there is of us. I'm not saying that we're going to lose. I'm just saying it's a David and Goliath kind of situation. You know what happened with that story, though. David kicked Goliath's ass with a single rock and a sling. But be that as it may, 
we're in for it. We're in for it. We're going to find out this week. And I don't know what's going to happen. And even like, let's say I can conjecture that all the ETFs get rejected yet again. Price is going to drop. Well, that's an easy one. Okay. Some or all of the ETFs get accepted. Okay. Price is probably going to rise. Then it will drop. And then it will rise again. And then it will drop some more. And then it will rise again. That's just general Bitcoin behavior. So honestly, I'm, it's just like fog of war for me. I don't know what you guys think about it. I know that I'm not going to worry about it because Bitcoin does not need the ETF. The only people that really need the ETF are the people that absolutely refuse to walk outside the regulatory box that the dark ones have made for them. And that's their decision. I can't do anything about that. Uh, a few notes here at the end for the end of the show. Scam Bitcoin wallets are still reigning free on Apple's App Store despite multiple reports. Please, 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 please understand that Apple, they got all their panties in a snit about Domus being on the App Store because it took payments. Yet they absolutely will allow like scam Sparrow wallet. There's a Sparrow wallet on the Apple App Store, 100% scam, don't get it. Then you ask, Dave, how do I vet this shit? Then get a hold, then do your best on whatever social media that, that Sparrow wallet is on and get a hold of them directly or, or figure, do, do, you do the work to find the people, not just the first, you're, you're like the, you go to Sparrow wallet over there on Twitter and then don't just assume that that's the actual account. You got to do more work than that. You got to interact with people. Ask your friends, is this the right account for uh, talking to the guys over at Sparrow Wallet? Because what I'm getting at is that if you can become fairly certain that you have the right guys over on a completely different application than the App Store, Apple App Store, then they can give you the actual honest to God link directly to the App Store, directly to their wallet. We do not live in a time where you can just go over to Apple and trust them because the only people that Apple care about is Apple. They don't give a shit about you. They don't give a shit if you get a bad wallet. They do give a shit if you're sending zaps over Noster. That they do care about. So just be aware. Oh, and Breeze. uh, Breeze has announced Fiat Link. It's a lightning to Fiat API standard. That does not mean that you have to use the Breeze wallet. They're literally integrating a standard API format into Breeze, but it's an SDK for Lightning wallets and applications so that they can integrate fiat on off-ramp functionality. So if if for whatever reason you're a developer or Nova developer that's looking for on and off-ramps to uh, Bitcoin, Lightning, fiat, whatnot like that, uh, tell them to look into this thing called Fiat Link. Fiat, F-I-A-T-L-I-N-K, Fiat Link. And let's see, up here, oh, Noster Report has a survey. If you're not on Noster, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to rectify that situation immediately. Once you finally get your NSEC NPUB key pair and you figure out how to work this, you go follow Noster Report. That's N-O-S-T-R-E-P-O-R-T. Just at that and you'll find them. But they've been reporting on Noster for almost a full year. And they say it's hard to believe, but we are coming up on one year of writing the Noster Report. Your feedback is incredibly important to us and our team wants to provide you with as much value as possible. Please take our two-minute survey to help us improve your experience. Share your thoughts on preferred topics, content formats, and suggestions. Feel free to leave feedback on this note as well. Thank you for your support, and please share for visibility. So, they have a forms.fillout.com survey. I filled it out. It's really it's going to be really helpful for the guys over at Nostra Report. They've been extraordinarily good, and they are a daily stop for me on putting this show together 
without them, I wouldn't have like two or three pieces of information to give you guys. So in my appreciation to the guys over at Nostra Report, I'm asking you to go to Nostra Report's Nostra account, look at today's Nostra Report, and then go find this uh, this forms.fill out. It's pretty much up, you know, kind of up at the top. And take two minutes and fill out the survey so that they have the information they need to make our experience better. It's already a good experience with this information. I think that they can make it even better. All right. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. And that is going to close out the first show of Bitcoin and for 2024. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.